welcome to 99 Yards. I am your host, Lisbeth Dari, and this week I'm joined by Jonathan Payton, Shona Duffy, and George Somerville. How is everyone? Yeah, I'm brilliant. Thank you. Excellent, thank you, Liz. Good. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about Eric Reed and other players being unfairly targeted for drug testing. We'll be discussing Ruben Foster's move to Washington and in turn, the NFL's clear lack of duty when it comes to domestic violence. And finally, We'll be taking a look at three teams with a disappointing record so far this season. The Jets, the Jags and the Packers. We'll also have three other guests joining us on the show. These include Richard King, who'll be giving us the latest in fantasy football. Safety for the Indianapolis Colts, Corey Moore, who'll tell us about life in the NFL. As well as Tom Bluefield from Alchichaka, who'll give us his top betting tips for the week ahead. But let's kick off the podcast with the news of Carolina Panthers safety Eric Reed. Now, he believes that he's been unfairly targeted by the NFL for random protocol drug testing. He's had six tests since joining the team, five random tests which have been uh, during the eight games that he's played. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't seem particularly random to me. Uh, and I can totally understand why he feels like he's been targeted. In fact, he's not the only player to come out and complain about this. Back in September, Odell Beckham complained uh, basically the same situation. He tweeted... It's actually funny how I randomly get tested every other week. Dear NFL, please stop sending these people. You're taken away from my meeting times and film. Now, I don't know a lot about the random protocol drug testing, but what are your thoughts on it? I didn't really know much about um, the random drug testing either. So I had a little bit of a dig about and um, it appears that um, I think 10 players on each team um, are are, are randomly selected. Um, And I know that there have been uh, various different articles on this over uh, the last uh, day where people talk about um, the odds of this happening to Eric Reid um, are understandably very low. Um, I, I guess the, the Odell Beckham thing for me kind of kind of sums it up that players generally are not going to be happy about um, getting drugs tested and um, players are not going to get uh, very happy when they are um, randomly t- uh, drugs tested um, on a recurring uh, basis. Um, I, I guess the, the question here, Eric Reid, I think, is, is is coming out saying that he's feeling targeted by it. I think it's it's easy to sympathise with him. Um, but but whether this is some sort of uh, grand conspiracy theory by the NFL, I'm not so sure because to me, I'm sure the NFL could come out with a with a lot more submersive ways of of um, of um, making um, his his life uh, difficult than than just constantly um, picking for, for for random drug testing. But not that's not dismissing the fact that I think six times one of which was his was his uh, original uh, when he when he when he signed uh, his fitness check. Um, but it just seems um, like a lot. Um, but um, as to whether it's um, uh, conspiracy theory, I'm I'm not so sure. You can only be you can only be um, subjected to a drugs test. I think it is six times in a year, and Reed's used up his quota already. Um, and it, you know, and, and during the season, you can't be tested for um, recreational drugs. All that you're being tested for is uh, performance enhancing enhancing drugs. Um, but I think the NFL is just looking to try and inconvenience Reed. And if he is on anything in particular, catch him out. Um, but you know, we we saw things um, you, with with things like Tom Brady, um, Deflategate. You know, you saw how you saw how the NFL works. Um, you know, um, leaking out information or leaking out their propaganda to people like Chris Mortensen and Pete, uh, Peter King. You know, d- d- coming up with this um, 
fake science and 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 fake uh, readings of the of the ball inflations um, and this is just another example of it to me you know this is this is well we, we we've, we've blackboard colin kaepernick and and his mates come into the nfl but we're going to try and make it as uncomfortable for him as possible um i, don't, I think every reader has every right to complain about this um and and you know, I, I don't think I don't think the drug testing in the NFL is 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 there to particularly catch players per se, because you know, if anyone's listened to the Aaron Hernandez uh, podcast, you know, all about all about the murders and his suicide, the um, the series that was just out uh, recently, will know how much uh, how many drugs Aaron Hernandez was on, or or, or you know how how frequent his marijuana use was and cocaine, and he was never caught once by the NFL. Um, so so and, and and Brady Quinn came out and said after 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 he retired, I think two or three years ago, he said that in, in his opinion, 40 to 50 percent of players were on some sort of uh, performance enhancing drug. So it's, it's not there to, 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 you know, catch all these cases and, and some, you know, really thorough, thorough testing to try and make the sport clean. It's it, it, in one way, it's a nod to like a, a pretense that they're trying to make sure that, that no one's cheating but in another way it's just it I, I, in this case i feel like it's being used as a vehicle just to make eric reed's life un, as uncomfortable as possible since he's rejoined the nfl i don't want to say witch hunt but like it does feel a little bit like that like it, to test a guy like obviously he gets the original test which is fine but to test a guy five times and he's played what eight eight games since he's been back that's pretty much almost like one a game yeah. it's it's just it's just a bit insane like uh, also you, you can see that on tw- everyone sees what cap's tweeting uh, tweeting on twitter you know he's backing eric reed he's saying like oh keep the masters going break brother you know like you can it they're obviously still in contact with one another and, and the nfl clearly don't like that because colin cavernick still doesn't have a job um as much as people will disagree with me that he shouldn't get a job or should get a job or whatever yeah i totally agree it just it it just it it's a bit staggering that that he would be randomly tested five times since joining the panthers yeah and i also think you know he he, eric reed's beef with malcolm jenkins as well you know malcolm jenkins was happy to sign up with the nfl and their deal to to commit to giving money to certain causes and stuff and eric reed was his locker wasn't he a few weeks ago uh, after after some beef on the field with with malcolm jenkins um so, so he's he's not lying down, you know. He's still kneeling, and and it's still an issue for him. So I think the NFL is just constantly sort of jab, jabbing at him with this with this um, drug testing, just to, as I said before, you know, make his life uncomfortable. Join me in welcoming Tom Bloomfield from Odds Checker. Tom is a Tampa Bay Bucks fan, and for those unfamiliar, Odds Checker is a betting comparison site, meaning they compare the odds and offers from leading bookies across all sports to ensure that you get the best possible bet. So, Tom, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very good, Liz, and I'm very impressed with your description of Odds Checker. I couldn't have put that better myself. <laughs> I thought, right, well, I know that they're a comparison site and they do all different sports, so fine. I'm glad that glad that worked. <laughs> yeah, perfect. You couldn't have done a, I couldn't have done a better job myself. <laughs> so you'll hire me? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll speak to the guys up there <laughs> and see if we can get you a spot. <laughs> perfect. So with week 13 of NFL Action ahead of us, I thought it'd be good to get you on the show to look at the week's biggest games. Shall we start with Minnesota Vikings against the New England Patriots? Let's start. The Patriots and the Vikings. This is a Sunday at 9.25pm over here in the UK. 
And the Vikings uh, had a good week last week. I mean, um, they finally managed to get themselves going on their offense. They're going to be going to New England, buoyed by the fact that uh, they uh, had Kirk Cousins going 29 for 38 uh, and 342 yards with three touchdowns on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Tom Brady didn't quite hit those high numbers, but still had a very efficient job as well last week. 20 of 31 for 283 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, New England are doing what they do very often uh, around this stage of the season. That's just rack up wins, not necessarily hit the headlines, but just rack up those wins, get themselves in the playoffs and uh, more often than not get a bye. In this one, they are two to five best price favourites. Uh, so you put five pound on, you only win two pound. Uh, the Vikings are 57 to 25 best price, uh, but you can make that a little bit neater by saying they're 11 to five. So the Patriots are favourites at Foxborough, kind of what you'd expect. On the point spread market, which is the other big market that we see here on Odds Checker, uh, the New England Patriots are minus six on the handicap. So what that means is they start with your bet on minus six. They need to win by more than that number in order for your bet to win. So seven points or upwards. That is available at 10 to 11. And the Vikings plus six, if you want to do it the other way, so you'd start off with the Vikings on six points. Uh, that's 19 to 20 best prices. And how about the LA Chargers against Steelers? What are the best odds you've seen for that matchup? So the Chargers at the Steelers. Now, the Chargers have been on a great run of form and they managed to get over their defeat uh, against Denver by really putting a number on at home uh, and going seven wins from their last eight. Uh, they'll be playing, obviously, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are always dangerous and always a good team at this time of year. And it might be interesting to, for some to note that the Steelers here are three and a half point favourites. So what that means is... On the handicap line, they've started off at 3.5 points. So they need to win by more than that in order for your bet to win. That's available at a best price of evens, whilst the Chargers, who will be plus 3.5, are available at 10 to 11 best price. We've been seeing more money, however, for the Chargers, despite the fact that they're the underdogs in this game. More people through our site have been betting on the Chargers than they have the Steelers. They're available at 13 to 8 best price, so £8 on would win you £13, whereas the Steelers are 5 to 9 best price, so £9 on would win you just £5. The Steelers, favourites with the bookies, but not necessarily with punters. Mm, interesting. And last but by no means least, what can you tell me about the Eagles versus Redskins? So the NFC East is a bit of a joke at the moment, and uh, it's, we've said that a few times uh, over the last few years. This Monday night football game, or, or Tuesday at 1.15am, for those of us who are going to be staying up to watch it, uh, it's a real good divisional game. And these teams, even though they're not having the best of seasons, obviously the Redskins have got their quarterback issues, uh, they're still in the hunt, as is the Eagles, for that top spot in the NFC East, although the Cowboys would have something to say about that. In this game, the Eagles, uh, because probably of the quarterback crisis that the Redskins have, they are quite healthy favourites. So three to eight is the best price you can currently get with the Philadelphia Eagles. So eight pound on would win you three pound. Washington Redskins, they're 12 to five best price. So quite big outsiders in this one uh, away from home where they normally struggle. They're normally much, much better at home. It'll be interesting to see how this one goes. Looking at the point spread market. You've got the Eagles at minus 6.5 on the spread. So minus 6.5 points in between by seven or more for your bet to win. 19 to 20 best price that is. And the Redskins plus 6.5 points that is at evens. But just quickly, uh, one that I quite like the look of when looking at this game uh, is the total points market. So how many points both these teams combined will score. The line is set at 44 points, which I think is quite low for a divisional game like this. So I would over 
not not saying for you to go for this, but uh, over might be interested for you there. Nine to ten for over forty four total points in the game. Under forty four points is available at ten to eleven as well. But if you really fancy uh, a big big scoring game, you can go for over fifty total points in the game, and that is at nine to five. Wow! And um, where would people go uh, to find this information on your website? So, uh, oddschecker.com is our website where we've got loads and loads of stuff for you. Uh, we've got a nice little banner at the top here, including NFL. You can give that a click and go to our NFL submenu where you'll find all the games. You'll find the odds straight away uh, for each team just to win the game. And then you can go through. We've got a number of markets for you, including first touchdown scorer odds, halftime, full-time, if you think there's going to be a turnaround in the game, first scoring play, high scoring half, and so much more. And you can also go to the Oddschecker Twitter page at Odd checker where we have loads and loads of good stuff for you across a load of range of sports or checker have their own youtube channel uh, as well or checker tv and an instagram channel as well that's perfect thanks for the update tom and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you next week fantastic look forward to it. and hopefully we'll talk about the Tampa Bay buccaneers at some point because we finally got our win last week <laughs> i promise we will we will <laughs> thanks, thanks tom Another huge piece of news this week is Ruben Foster. He was arrested for domestic violence on Saturday night at the team's hotel in Tampa uh, before their game against Buccaneers. Come Sunday, he was cut by the 49ers and by Tuesday, he was picked up by the Washington Redskins. Being entirely honest, I'm kind of sick of hearing these stories. It shouldn't be happening at all. The fact that this happens over and over again with no real consequence just shows how shallow the NFL stance is on domestic violence. Nothing ever seems to damage the player's career. It's not right. The victim seems to get paid off like it's nothing, yet it's probably going to damage that person for the rest of their life. And yet the player continues his life like it never happened. I just sort of wonder, what is it going to take for the NFL to take some real action on this? This story is quite quite interesting because this is not the first time that this girl has said that um, Ruben Foster and her were involved in a domestic violence relationship. And the first time she actually said that, if you look up some articles, she said that she was lying about it and that she basically wanted to ruin his career. But the stories came back up again. And I don't know, would you would you, would you you do this a second time if you've already outed yourself as saying, oh, I lied? Like, I just, it, it's, it's such a weird one. And obviously he's just walked into a new job as easy as anything on Tuesday when... Um, he was signed by the Washington Redskins. It, from a football perspective, it to- it makes sense. But come on, this guy has been arrested three times, including reports of domestic violence incident like just last weekend. This is the second one this year. And also, this is the same team who, when Alex Smith went out injured, um, they didn't want to get Colin Kaepernick on a trial because of all the media attention they would get. So... You don't want to get Colin Kaepernick in because he's taken a knee against social injustice, but you can sign Reuben Foster like a week later. Like if Colin Kaepernick punched punched his wife in the face, would he be back in that job now? I think he probably would be because they just, they just don't seem to have a stance on it. It's it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like uh, it's, to me, it's unbelievable, and I don't blame the 49ers for releasing him because um, Kyle Shanahan did say earlier in the year when this came out the first time that if it is true and it found out that he does do it again. Like, he didn't specifically say Reuben Foster, but he was basically saying anyone within his team, if that they found to be doing that, they would be released. But the guy just picked up a job three days later. It's, there's just no consequences for him. And I don't really know what the NFL will do because they haven't done anything in the past. 
Yeah, I, I sort of come down on two sides of the fence with this. Um, <clears throat> you know, in, in one respect, it, I sort of get the zero tolerance for this sort of thing. And, you know, in a, in a way, Ruben Foster has been given a lot of rope in the first place. And like, trying, trying to, I always find it sort of quite bizarre um, teams trying to rationalise with someone who is suspected to have committed domestic violence. And if they have done uh, domestic violence, like the idea that you say, don't do it again or we'll release you. Like you're rationalising with someone who thinks it's all right to hit women, they're going to suddenly change because yeah. you've said don't do it again. Because you know, I, I just find that sort of quite sort of perverse way of thinking. Um, but I also sort of think that a lot of people expect the NFL to be policing and enforcing the law. You know, this this is this is this is this is beyond an NFL problem. If if people are getting paid off or they're getting you know um, victims are suddenly turning around and changing their story, you know, you know. Um, I mean, the NFL have got into a lot of problems since Goodell came in and wanted to be the enforcer and have sort of zero tolerance on certain things. Um, and I know Jerry Jones isn't happy about it and what happened with Zeke, Zeke Elliott as well. Um, but I sort of find the NFL, the NFL sort of in, is in a way it sort of it can't win to a, to a degree because surely it's law enforcement, etc., that should be the ones that are finding people guilty or not guilty and, and, and dishing out punishments there. And it's almost like because that doesn't happen people then want the nfl to be the ones doling out the punishment um if you see what i mean but you know there's no smoke without fire in a lot of these situations and most players don't get you know russell wilson odell beckham whoever don't, don't have these um situations come about and people people accusing them of of something like domestic violence so you know there's no smoke without fire with this sort of stuff and I think the 49ers should probably have, should probably have hit the eject, the eject button in in the summer. Um, and it's just a shame there's always one team willing willing to sort of give these guys a chance when you know just let due process take its course. You know if if, if he's done something bad, what, what, why claim him on waivers? Do the Redskins really need to do that? You know he's not he's not, he's not <laughs> without sounding sort of like quite crass. He's not even doesn't even play a position. Uh, uh, a significant position in the NFL, you know, he's not a pass rusher or a quarterback. I just find it such a such a strange thing for the Redskins to do. I mean, I, I agree that with what you're saying in terms of like the NFL, you know, they can't really. They are an organization at the end of the day, but it's just, it's not the first time you hear it. You've heard this story, which is just it just makes it even more frustrating. You see so much players that have had these claims and Washington Redskins are a team that are trying to get media attention away from them with Adrian um, Peterson with his kids and hanging them with a the belt like and now they've just gone and added Ruben Foster it it it, honest, it it just baffles me yeah I mean it's sort so, of it's classic Dan Snyder I suppose in a way sort of like sort of like Dan Snyder team would do but yeah so I mean I think it's way too easy for the teams to um come up with a kind of benefit of hindsight thing. So I read um, uh, John Lynch's comments about how, you know, he had one strike left and the um, he, that, that was it. He used up his strike and, and he was out. Uh, you know, if you if you go back to... There's, there's a few points here. If you go back to um, Reuben Foster at college, and, and I follow college football a lot, um, Reuben Foster coming out of um, Alabama was one of the highest-rated draft prospects and was expected to go... Um, probably top three. Um, you may or may not recall, but um, he, um, I think, I think technically he has failed the, the drug test at the combine. But actually, I think it was more about the fact that he refused 
um, a drug test at the combine, and and actually there was um, it was it was worse than that. There was there was a bit of um, uh, very aggressive behaviour towards the drug tester, and he was eventually asked to leave um, the combine. So he never actually completed the combine, and as a result, he fell he fell way down the the. Um, the uh, the draft prospects and he still he still went in the first round but he went at thirty one um, instead of instead of three so the point here for me is that uh, uh, and you touched on this journal <clears throat> teams um, are willing to take um, a, a, a chance on these guys because they know they can play football um, and and this is uh, and the game is littered with with players like Joe Mixon now I don't know if you've ever seen the video of Joe Mixon in Oklahoma Bar where he punches a girl in the face, right? I mean, he's bang to rights. Um, it's it the most appalling thing you'll, you'll see, aside from the, the, the Ray Rice um, uh, elevator incident. Now, uh, Joe Mixon was charged. Um, uh, bizarrely, um, uh, Joe Mixon has kind of, I wouldn't necessarily got away from it, but if you've ever watched the, um, the, the Netflix staircase, Joe Mixon pleaded the, the Alford plea um, which effectively says he did it, but he didn't really do it, um, and got a suspended sentence. Now, Joe Mixon's uh, playing at the Bengals. I think he's playing very well. Um, uh, the, the question is, you know, if something happens in the future um, and this comes back, you know, something else something else comes out of his character and he does it again, then people will come back and say, well, actually, you know, he's done this before. Isn't that, isn't that a, you know, a travesty? Um, the problem is that teams want to win. Uh, teams get money for winning. Head coaches keep their jobs for winning, so they want to avoid um, all of uh, this by. Oh, sorry, they want to ignore all of this by bringing in players who they know can can enhance and benefit their team. And when we talk about, well, what can the NFL do? Um, I, I mean, I, I do think definitely, I, I absolutely think this is on the team, right? I think it's up to you know, it's up to the team to take a stance. But the problem is, the 49ers didn't necessarily want to pass up for the fear that somebody else is going to take them in the second round. Um, but to me, you know, the teams operate a franchise. If you've got a franchise in any other part of the business world, if you breach the franchise rules, then you're in violation of the franchise agreement and therefore you, you, you run the risk of losing the franchise, right? So to me, it's quite a simple um, equation, which is you, you put it into, and I'm, I'm sure it probably is already there, that, you know, if, if Jerry Jones's, um, you know, can't remember how much the the the, uh, the cowboys are worth these days. You know, five billion dollars, whatever it is, is on the line because one of his players steps out of turn. Then he'll be far quicker to say, "We don't want this guy on our roster um, because I'm not going to jeopardise the franchise." And um, I, I just and you know, and maybe that's oversimplifying it. But until you force the teams not to pick these guys, they're going to be continue to to pick. And and just to go back on one last point. Um, that the NFL doesn't do stuff about this. Um, it, it does when it wants to, because Ray Rice is a prime example, right? Ray Rice has never played football again. He's he, he was out, you know, he was he was sacked by he was found guilty by the NFL, which goes back to the should the NFL be judge and jury? But um, he was sacked by um, uh, by the the Ravens, um, and he's never played football again. Yeah, um, he was essentially blackballed as well. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah. so he so he's out now. Now to be oh. fair, I mean, what we you know, I, I again, I'm, I'm not. I only saw the video, so. And there's all sorts of talk about what happened pre and post. My my mind, that doesn't really matter. But, you know, it was caught on tape. So, therefore, it's very hard for someone to defend themselves when, you know, it's caught there and, you know, in, 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 in black and white or, or technicolor. So, you know, I think, I think there is the ability for things to happen. But, you know, as Liz said right at the outset, 
it happens all the time. And, and, and sadly, you know, you just have to follow college football for any length of time to know that this is um, this is a recurring theme. Um, and I, I mean, I'll finish on this. It, these guys, and this is this is not this is not excusing, uh, and no way am I trying to excuse these guys. These guys who are top ranked recruits are treated like superstars from when they're in high school. You know, from when from their teenagers, they're treated like stars. They're given the star treatment. So I think there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of uh, work to be done by the colleges and the schools because some players react to this better than others but clearly some will come through with a sense of entitlement some will come through with a, a an absurd picture of what reality is um which then opens them up to I, I, you know you, you talked about aaron hernandez but i mean the, the, the game is littered with players who just have not been managed well through um through the the, the system and and i know that the nfl does does some work on this um and the teams do some work on this because at the end of the day they've got a player who's an asset who's you know they're paying money to and etc cetera, etc. Cetera, but clearly they're not getting it right, um, and there's a lot to be done. Joining me now on the Ninety Nine Yards podcast is safety for Indianapolis Colts, Corey Moore. Welcome, Corey. How's it going? Thank you for having me, Liz. It's going wonderful. How about yourself? Yeah, really good. Thank you. I'm really happy to have you with us. Um, yes, ma'am. I thought we could start off by um, looking at your career. Perhaps you could talk me through how you have developed as a player from college at Georgia to entering the league with Texans to where you are now with the Colts. Yes, well, it's, it's been a uh, up and down roller coaster, but every roller coaster is fun in my experience. Um, my, <laughs> coming out of the University of Georgia, uh, I uh, did didn't go to the draft, uh, didn't go to the combine, so. That kind of struck a, um, I say, a good nerve in me to work even harder, man, and have fun with it. My first year in the NFL, I was uh, a practice squad guy on the Houston Texans, and uh, that year really was for me to figure out things on how the NFL worked. Uh, it was a very fun process, I think, to my experience, uh, because I used that time to actually get better at the small things. Uh, throughout the season, I wasn't active, so I would stay out to practice, watch extra, extra film, stay out to practice, run extra yes to do something uh, according to my footwork to better it. Um, then my second year rolled around, and I happened to make the squad and was active. And I, to be honest, I, I wasn't expecting to start. I was My mindset was going in, being a special teams guy, servicing the team uh, any way that I could. And <clears throat> I happened to start. Uh, eight games, nine, seven games, somewhere in that nature. But it was a really fun year. I think I established myself very well in the NFL. Uh, got my first interception in the playoffs, man. But it was it was a really fun year. My second year, but my third year, uh, I happened to have a MCL tear at the end of the year. But that year still was was pretty fun. Started seven games and. Um, it was it was a growing process my third year because it didn't go as I wanted to, but it really taught me valuable lessons in life on uh, when things don't go your way. You just uh, work a little bit harder. You become a better person inside and out, and you learn the business on how uh, it, it works. Uh, so it uh, it was it was a very fun year. My fourth year, I'm here now with the Indianapolis Colts, great organization. 
great organization, and uh, it was it was it was a blessing because uh, the Texans released me and uh, they picked me up right away. And it's been going fine. We started off pretty shaky at the beginning of the season, losing I think three three or four straight. But now we uh, we got the ball rolling, man, and we're gonna keep it rolling heading to um, playing Jacksonville this weekend in Jacksonville. So. My story, man, it's, it's a pretty, uh, as I say, neat story. I started off as um, practice squad. I was a trial guy. Most people don't know. I was a trial guy, but uh, I made to squad. So anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Yeah, absolutely. If you work hard, good things will come. And here you are. <laughs> yes, you're so correct. And I guess looking at the uh, well, the team for a moment, so you're having a nice season so far, and currently the team is second in your division. What do you mm-hmm. think um, your defensive group has done differently, which has surprised people the most this season? Uh, I think we just really came together as a unit, offensively, defensively, special teams, just the whole team just in general. But talking defense-wise, we came together as a defense, started honing, on, honing in to our keys, better better communication across the board, man. And we just made up our mind that we want to win, man. We want to do whatever it takes to win. If, that's, if we got to hold the ball on field goal or, man, if they ask us to do something crazy, run through a wall, we're going to do it because we want to win. So I think that's the biggest thing, just coming together and just talking about what we're going to do and just doing it. Absolutely. And um, what have you found the differences to be um, playing under an experienced Bill O'Brien at Texans to what some would say is a rookie head coach in Frank Reich? Um, You know what, those two guys... Uh, they're two different people. Uh, big props to Coach O'Brien. He's a, a, a great coach. Uh, been with the Houston Texans, I think, for five years now. But uh, Coach Frank, man, he's taught me a lot, man. He's a positive guy. And him coming from uh, Philadelphia, I think he brought that mentality, man, here to the Indianapolis Colts and is showing he he always preaches, man, get 1% better every day. And that's what we try to do in practice because that's where it starts. And we attack practice like like it's a game. And the game, it, 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 it comes uh, comes pretty easy sometimes, man, because the, you work so hard in practice and you see it over and over and over. And as soon as you get to it in the game, you're like, oh, well, this is, this is it. This is what I've been working for. This is what I've prepared for. So I think Coach Frank, he does a great job of getting – us prepare for a game in every aspect that you could possibly get ready for a game. So Coach Frank, he's doing a great job with this man, and we're everybody's bought in. Everybody's bought in, and we're keeping the ball rolling. That's brilliant to hear. Clearly, that's you know shows the success of his season so far. It was obviously the right the right move for him. Um, <clears throat> looking at um, kind of offensive coordinators across the NFL, it seems that they're embracing um, the college system. How do you, yes. as a defensive unit, deal with that? Uh, I mean, because the college system, man, it's, it's, uh, it's really a good system if you uh, really just hone into it and you buy into it because it's not a lot of thinking, not a lot of thinking going on, just getting to your your coverage, your leverage, your assignments and doing that. And that gets guys to play faster. It gets guys to communicate faster. And you're all on one page and that, that makes the defense run even faster. So you play faster, more aggressively. And the offense, man, is, is so simple. Uh, opposing teams, they think because it's a simple, uh, tight defense that you can actually like have success on it. But it's 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 all about what you do 
whenever you run a type system like this. So it's, it's very fun to play in and you have a lot of turnover. So we're just going to keep the ball rolling. And um, obviously there have been a number of changes with rules over the years. Do you think that they've gone too far in terms of tilting the field more towards the offense? And also, what do you <laughs> <laughs> what do you find is the hardest rule to play within? Oh, man, I can go <laughs> days on and on about how the rule has changed because it's changed worldwide. I mean, Pee-wee, starting from Pee Wee League onto professional rules have changed and it has gotten softer in my opinion because there are calls and there are plays that happen during the game that you can't control it's, it's man on man force on force and sometimes a defensive guy ends up on the wrong wrong end of the bargain and it's and it's and it's bad um you know you have some hits that are illegal and sometimes offensive guys they you ask them like after hit you good and they're like yeah I'm good well that shouldn't be a flag because it's just football so there are so many rules that have been implemented over the past few years that has been questionable in my opinion and it's and somewhat kind of soft so it's um you got to play within the rules play play a game within the game as I was always told man but you but you never let up you never you never let up on how aggressive you play man so I think that's the biggest thing about football you can't substitute the aggressiveness so it's um that's that's it's, it's very devastating at, as at times as a defensive guy and when it comes to your role what is your favorite thing to do would you prefer to cover a man one on one play the center field role at safety or come up into the box and provide support against the run um you know i i like to keep all those things in my package and do them all the best of my ability i think um as i'd say hitting someone i mean <laughs> you um covering someone i think that's that's pretty fun that's i can do that no problem man but when you hit someone and you force a fumble or you make the crowd go crazy, or you you, you show your, your your other defenders that you can hit hard. That sends a message just across the board. And once you turn on film and you see a guy who hits hard, you're like, man, it's gonna be a long game. So I think hitting hard and uh, making the offender feel me. I think I think that's what I I like best. And what does a typical day look like for you? Perhaps you could talk me through your routine. Oh, well, typical day, Wednesday through Friday, I'm really up here early. Um, I'm here at 6.20 in the morning. I grab some breakfast because I've learned throughout the years, man, my four years being in the league, that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And you kind of get educated on that in organizations that you become. But uh, 7 o'clock, I'm uh, 6.45, I'm meeting with my DB coach, Going over game plan, just going over film and seeing the tendencies that I saw the night before and the night before that when the coach watched film. Um, I would say we'll watch film from like 6.45 to 7.15, 7.30 sometimes. And uh, 8.15 is when we have special teams. So I'm meeting from special teams meeting, defensive meetings, uh, position meetings, all the way up until roughly around like maybe – uh, 12, 12, 30 ish. Um, then practice starts around like 1 15, Uh, we're out at practice for a good hour and 45, two hours, depends on how the practice goes. And then we come back in, uh, meet from 3 45 to 5 45, and we have walkthroughs. 
and after that, man, I, I actually stay for a good hour and a half, two hours, maybe three. Sometimes I leave the building 8.30, sometimes 9. Wow. So my day is it's, it's pretty full. Yeah. It's a, yes, you have to be passionate to be in this business. You got to love it. And uh, but it's fun. You, you 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 run into people in the locker room. You form a brotherhood, and the biggest thing is winning production and winning in this league, man. I think we're doing a good job um, around here and uh, winning games together, man, and pulling it pulling it out out the hat, no matter how it gets done. But we we find a W around here, so that's that's my day, pretty much um, here in Indianapolis. And when it comes to game day, do you have any pre-game superstitions or certain things that you'll do before each game, perhaps? Oh, uh, well, I kiss my little girl uh, <laughs> and try to sing to her before I uh, leave from her because she has the, the most beautiful smile in the world, man. She she gets my day going. Her giggle gets me going. And before the game, I eat, I eat some gummy bears to uh, get my blood <laughs> sugar up. That's, I've, been, I've been doing that since I've been in high school so that's kind of ritual that i've been going on but mainly man just turning on some tunes freeing my mind uh and getting focused really for the game so it's it's i try to keep it simple you know try to keep it simple not try to get too honed in in the game you try to you get too honed into the game and then you you're too out of shape going into the game so i just try mm-hmm. to keep it mellow uh before the game starts and finally, um, who is the hardest player to tackle in the NFL, and who is the best player you've played with? Who's the best tackler? Who's the hardest um, tackler? Who's the hardest ta- person that you've, that you've tackled, and which is uh, the best player generally that you've played with? Okay, uh, the, I think the hardest tackler that I've had to tackle this year would be... Because I would say Isaiah Crowell, he was a running back out of New York Jets. Uh, I played with him in college, actually, man. He's a really good running back in the NFL, but uh, he's he's uh, he's very hard to hit, man, in open field. And I happened to get him in open field one time, but he's pretty hard to uh, hit. And <clears throat> the best player I've ever played with. <laughs> Well, I, I play with numerous guys that I could throw in there. I would first off say Andrew Luck. He's an incredible guy to play. The best guy I've ever played with. J.J. Uh, Watt, um, Tyron Matthew, um, and Malcolm Mitchell. I, I played with him in college, but he was a receiver at the Patriots last year. So big guy's pretty special. Well, Corey, it's amazing to hear your passion for all of this. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Um, thank you so much, and uh, best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you for having me on, Liz. I loved speaking to Corey. He was such a nice guy, and he spoke with so much passion. You can generally sense like how grateful he is to be playing, um, and how seriously he takes wanting to improve and develop as a player. All I was going to say was that when I thought it was a really good interview um, and what it struck me was that here was somebody who um, knew that he was in many ways privileged to play the game, that he um, seemed to enjoy every day in the game, had had, I think, a couple of pretty bad injuries in his time Um, and because of that or maybe because of his attitude, 
Um, he um, he really it just came out that he seemed to just really relish what he was doing, and maybe it was a slightly unfair comparison, but I immediately thought of Le'Veon Bell, um, who effectively has written off a year of his footballing career to hold out for a contract. Now, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but when I just heard the interview, I thought, well, here's somebody who wants to play the game um, and enjoys playing the game. Uh, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but he clearly relishes it and wants to do that. Um, but yeah, there are other players out there who are maybe not in the same space. Um, maybe it is more about the money. Maybe it is more about um, having more control over their um, their, their their playing career and actually their you know how they how they end the game. But I just thought it seems sad that you know a player like Bell would sit out for a year. Yeah, I thought I thought it was really nice hearing from people like Corey because you know you you spend a lot of time focusing on the superstars and the quarterbacks and the fantasy players and you know Aaron Donalds of the world and actually there's a raft of players who are on you know the edge of the 53 man roster who are just happy to play who are trying to make a trying to make a living for themselves who might not be able to retire when they give up playing but you know being on the practice squad earns them seven or eight thousand pounds a week during the season, get promoted to the to the fifty three man roster and you're earning twenty, twenty five thousand dollars a week. And 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 just to hear from like someone like Corey who, you know, just as as, as George says, you know, just seems to relish the opportunity of being a third string safety and a special teams guy, you know, and just competing every day. And, and, and it sort of, it, it reminds me of when I spoke to Jason Bell as well, because it's sort of a very similar position that he had in the NFL where, you know, he, he was, he was struggling every day, every day. He was trying to make the team, make the roster because he couldn't sit on his laurels. So becoming a special teams player was really important to him. Um, and I also liked what he said about, you know, struggling like how hard the rules are for defensive players and even even like speaking to offensive players when you make a hit and just sometimes you can't you just can't do it it's just it's collateral damage it's just it's just it's collisions that are going to happen in the game because of the way the game is designed even though defensive players seem to have all the um responsibility heaped onto their shoulders to avoid any contact with defenseless receivers um but he just came across as just a, as, as a guy who just who's just just really thankful for being in the position that he is. Yeah, I was literally in awe of him for that first section when he was talking about how he was on the practice squad with the Texans, and because he knew he wasn't playing on a Tuesday night, he'd stay back and he'd um, do training and like learn the learn the rules of the game. Honestly, I don't I don't even think I have that commitment sometimes to make my own dinner, let alone. Um, <laughs> like stay behind at work and do like extra stuff like it was just incredible um and yeah I, I thought his section on the new rules was quite was really interesting as well like we all, we, we've all been commenting about um the new uh quarterback rule about how you have to I can't remember, like, not tackle them in a certain way um I think Bobby Wagner said something about it the fact that he thinks that QBs are going to have to be handed pillows and duvets before they can defensive players can even touch them which <laughs> It was quite interesting to hear what um, Corey had to say about it as well, because it does change every year. But yeah, I, I was just really fascinated by him. And also, and also, you know, like when 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 the NFL, who just seem to like authoritarian nut jobs that they are, just seem to love dishing out fines. And 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 you think of someone like Corey, <laughs> who's on a minimum, who will be on a minimum salary, you know, and and suddenly they're getting hit with twenty, thirty thousand pounds. Sorry, twenty, thirty thousand dollar fines because. 
the, the, the receiver may have ducked, but hey, it's a defensive player's problem for being there, and you still hit his helmet. And you know, it's, it's a lot of money for these guys. And and you know, I think the NFL needs to be looking at their fine system as well, because for things for things that are um, flagrant, obviously they uh, they should be fined. But for things that are really borderline, or things that have obviously no intent, are just accidents that happen during the sport, uh, during the way the way the sport is played. You know. People, it's it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money of their proportion of their salary to be fined uh, if people like Corey just happen to be in the wrong position at the wrong time. Yeah, I was going to say something, but it's completely gone from my brain. <laughs> I, guess, I guess it does. It does highlight, John, um, uh, that there are a huge percentage of players. Who don't get paid the millions of dollars that yeah. you know the, the Aaron Rodgers contracts, the Derek Carr contracts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they are they are living. They're maybe not they're maybe not living you know a, a meager lifestyle, but they're certainly living a more uh, more constrained lifestyle. And it's far too easy to say that this player was fined ten thousand dollars, and someone saying, "Well, that, that you know what does that mean? That's just a drop in the ocean." But actually, yeah. that that could that could be easily um, you know someone's you know maybe maybe monthly salary, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. you know so. So if, if any of us was to give up our monthly salary because we were, you know, late into the office or something like that, then you can just tell what kind of difference that would make. And then there's that, that startling statistic, which I cannot bring back from my memory, the huge number of players that leave the NFL and are bankrupt within three years after yeah. leaving the NFL. I think it's it's something obscene like yes. 75%, right? Yeah, you're right. And, yeah. um, you know, you just look at these guys who put their body on the line week in, week out. And, you know, I just I thought it was great that he's still he's still there at nine o'clock at night and he's doing all that kind of stuff because he loves the game. You know, he's not getting paid 23 million quid um, dollars. He's doing it because he loves the game. And 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 dare I say that he thinks he maybe gets, he's getting a, a decent living out of it. Um, and, and I'm sure he is. But for the, for the length of time that he's going to be playing uh, professional football um you know i dare say it um and i'm sorry if you're listening cory you know he, I, I doubt he's going to live on that for the rest of his the rest of his days right so he's going to have to do something after after he works for the nfl um and i just thought it was it was a marvelous interview i really enjoyed it our regular listeners will have noticed that ryan conway isn't on our pod this week however he wanted us to know this next section teams on the tyre fire of the 2018 season. So we're now going to turn our attention to three teams. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Jets and the Green Bay Packers. The Jets uh, and the Jags are both at the bottom of their division uh, with a record of 3-8. and eight. The Packers, in fairness, not at the bottom, but they're third in their division, which still isn't great. And they've got a record of 4-7. and seven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's not where I would have expected them to be. I think I think the Jets probably were expected to be roughly where they are at the moment. Um, I just don't think anyone expected their season just to be quite as miserable as it has been, um, especially the last five or six weeks. And um, I don't know if anyone's been dumped over Christmas in their life before, but it suddenly sort of hit me on Sunday that this this felt exactly like being dumped over Christmas, and and you're living this like parallel life where everyone around you seems to be enjoying themselves and full of joy and excitement and having fun and you're just like living this like depressed weird (laughs) state and and this is exactly what happened on sunday i was sitting watching the jets and the pats game and it was just the most horrible miserable experience ever um 
And then I turned on our group chat and everyone was going, whoa, the Seahawks, Panthers, what a game, what a big boys football. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> this is like, whoa, people are just living a completely different life to me on Sundays. Um, <laughs> and, and, and you know, the thing with the Jets, when they suck, it's not like even like if the, the Bills or the Browns, they have great fans still. There's, there's still like a heart and a soul to their team. When the Jets suck, the fans don't go to the stadium. They sell their tickets to other, to other teams. I don't know if it's like a corporate thing that a lot of people, a lot of corporate tickets are, are sold um, by the Jets. Um, it doesn't help that their stadium is just look, looks like an air conditioner unit. You know, this, it's like, it must be the worst new stadium that's been built in the last 20 years. It's just <laughs> such a horrible looking thing. Um, and, 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 but, the, but the Jets fans are quite split at the moment because a lot, um, half of them seem to want Mike McCagney to stay on, which is just the worst idea. Um, a lot of people, everyone's in agreement that Todd Bowles is going to go, but McCagnan for some reason gets a pass with a lot of Jets fans and he's playing the media game there's been things out this week in the New York media about how McCagnan should be given like full control etc and it's just the biggest load of rubbish ever the Jets need to completely clear the decks you know go through the Jets squad it's a really badly put together squad he's been there for four years he's not found a wide receiver better than Quincy Nunwa who was drafted by John Isaac he's not found a better running back than Bilal Powell who was drafted by Mike Tannenbaum the, the GM2 times before um mccadden got the job the pass rush has still been an issue for years the offensive line is still poor um you know there's no they can't sort the tight ends out he drafted he spent his two top two draft picks of the 2017 draft on a a fast devaluing position the say in in the safety position you know Every, everyone loves uh, Marcus May and um, Jamal Adams, and they are great players, but they are safeties. And, and the way the NFL is going, they only have a limited impact on, your t- on, on a game. And to spend two draft pick, your top two draft picks on those two players just seems like a comp- ridiculous waste of, 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 like, of, of your draft um, um, inventory. Um, and and now and, and and next summer they're going to have a hundred million dollar cap space. Already he's been criticised about the Tremont uh, Johnson um, uh, pickup from from the Rams. You know he's not played well this year, and and you're expect and you're giving you're going to give this guy a hundred million dollars again. There's like rumours of Livion Bell, which would be a terrible idea to spend so much money on. Um, when the Jets have so many other needs elsewhere, you know, look at the Hackenberg. Um, uh, a draft pick um you know he as, as someone someone put on twitter bef- before the 2017 season he looked at the quarterback room and saw bryce petty christian hackenberg and and josh mccann and was like yeah yeah i think we'll go with that and 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 let patrick mahomes and um deshaun watson like, pass him by this guy needs to be replaced as well um yeah i don't know it's 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 such a miserable experience being a jets fan at the moment because there's just sort of nothing to hang your hat on and and if and if sam darnold isn't playing you know it just it's just the biggest waste of three hours uh to watch the jets play at the moment well he's at least he's like a little ray of sunshine on the smallest ray but 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 another problem is is the fact that that you know jeremy bates the offensive coordinator has been so appalling this year they had john morton last year who sort of felt like he was one of the better offensive coordinators they've had for a long time admittedly not not great competition um but but you want you want some offensive guru who's like modern and forward thinking to be to be sort of taking Donald under his wing and the Jets offense looks like the Packers offense if you didn't have Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams 
in it. You know, it's it's just it's like a miserable, lacking intensity, lacking any modern college concepts. Um, you know, the receivers just seem to run, you know, isolation routes. The, the running game's got no like any 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 sort of like power behind it. Um, or it's just like I don't know. I, I'm done with the Jets. Oh. You're, you're, you're not really. You're not really. I uh, When I say I'm done with the Jets, it's uh, um, it's 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 going to take a lot for me to decide to watch the Titans against the Jets this Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on from the Jets, because I think yeah. John covered that pretty well. Um, <laughs> I'm quite surprised with where Jacksonville are this season. Um, I think personally, for me, I think Blake Bortles has been thrown under the bus a little bit. I mean, I know the guy isn't great. And, and he is obviously in a job where he's getting paid a lot of money and still being played. Um, but it's not the team's not changed from that much from the team that made the championship game last year. So I don't really know where it's all gone wrong. But to be on a seven-game losing streak and your starting QB being benched for Cody Kessler and now Blake Bortles saying today that he... Um, has no idea whether he has played his last game for Jacksonville or not. It's not. It's not really great reading. Like, um, obviously, he's saying he wants to stick around and help them out for the rest of the season because he doesn't know when he's going to play. Um, they've fired their offensive coordinator, so maybe that will improve um, on Monday after the loss to twenty uh, to the Buffalo Bills twenty four twenty one, which is obviously was a close game. But this is the Bills who've not being great this season at all, apart from Josh Allen having some like good like games when he's done really good passes and stuff. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting because like you, you kind of just thought the Jacksonville would be back up there again. I, I certainly did at the start of the season, so I don't I don't really know where it has all gone wrong. I think I think the, the the Jags had a lot of bounces go their way last season. You know, they had a lot of turnovers, especially that the, the Chargers game last year was just a crazy game. They ended up winning, for example. It was like a t- typical Chargers way of managing to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, and and that's just not happened for Jacksonville this year. Their defense has regressed from like being one of the best best or second best defenses in the league to being about tenth probably. Um, but the offense hasn't stepped up and has been any better, maybe slightly worse. Plus, you then have locker room, you know, agitation and 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 personality issues for whatever reason, um, and you know, there there was a chance they could have they could have gone, um, you know, gone out there and, and and taken Teddy Bridgewater off the Jets' hands, done something, but they just sat they sat on their hands and and I, th- I think as well because you know Blake Bortles was the highest paid player in there, but then. You know the defense is turning around, going. When are you ever going to win a game for us? You know we're the guys aiming to like keep us in every game. Um, you know they were ten and six last year, um, and a lot of people, and, and I think sort of getting to that championship game was 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 like a great moment for them. But great teams don't always get to the championship get get to like these championship games. You can sort of like put put a good two or three games together in the in, at the right time, um, and then suddenly next season. In, um, in the preseason, you're, you're hyped up beyond what you should really be aiming for this year, and they've sort of regressed, but regressed a lot more um, than I think people would have expected. Yeah, that that doesn't make sense. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> that the defense has gone 
down so quick, like rapidly, like because that defense last year was um, was amazing. Like they did, they did so well. Um, but it, like you're saying, you know, they're they, like you said, Jono, um, about them saying, well, when when's Blake Bortles going to win us a game? Like you kind of do see that in in locker rooms because you know there was that report a couple of months ago that Richard Sherman and everybody wasn't happy with Russell Wilson as their QB, which I think is ridiculous, but, you know, I would say that because I'm a scout fan. Um, but it, it's interesting that that breakdown can lead yeah. teams to not do as, as, so, like, as well. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think that was probably, that was probably more the way Carol mollycoddled Wilson, maybe. But I, 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 but I, think, I, think, I think that's a good point because, you know, this just shows how amazing that Seahawks defense was from 2012 to 2015 at their peak, because it's, it's, you can get these great defenses having a great season together. Like the Jags did, like the Broncos did in 2015. I think it was it 2016. The Giants sort of showed it a bit of it as well, but actually they can fall apart very quickly. And I think it's football outsiders that say, you know, consistency offense building an offense and cons- being consistently good from year to de- year is much easier or it's much more common than building a, a great defense that can repeat it year after year after year yeah absolutely. um and probably it's because it's you know it's put, put resource into a very good quarterback and keeping it there is a lot easier to do than putting resources into a bunch of defensive players that play really well and then all want to like turn around and get a better contract and <laughs> um, it's not so reliant on one position um but yeah, it's almost a bit like you know what the Jackets going to do now with their QB situation because like the window may be closing because that's quite an expensive defense, defensive line they've put together. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one to watch. And then there's the poor old Green Bay Packers, um, and and big big shoes to fill. But I'll try and fill Ryan Conway's shoes this week. Um, and and I'm sure it'll be when he listens to this, he'll be screaming down the, down the phone, but. <laughs> you know, I think I think a lot of people expected Green Bay to kind of, you know, with a with a fit Aaron Rodgers, um, they expected Green Bay to be there or thereabouts this year, and clearly they're not. And they again, they look like a team in turmoil. Um, you know, I think a lot of folk can't see beyond Aaron Rodgers, and and I'm one of them, but clearly he has not been playing well in the last um, few games, and uh, and in fact has been pretty poor in the last few games and it strikes me that um, things are now starting to unravel quite quickly at Green Bay um, but just trying to have a look at this before I came on um, you know the Green Bay um, philosophy um, has always been um, that they will draft well um, and they will not pick up um, high paid players in free agency they, they shy away from that because they want to build a young team um, from from the, the ground up um, and and deliver that way and um, there's some truth in that they, they, they haven't really gone into free agency in a big way I mean they've, they've, they've picked up some players there's no question about that um, but actually, um, so the, 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 the criticism comes to the, the drafting. Um, and, and before I kind of, you know, give the draft a real um, kicking, I, I think um, Jair Alexander this year has been pretty good, right? So, um, so I think that, that that's fair enough. Yeah, but that was but, one of my that was one of my plays of the season. That when he blew up that Vikings uh, wide receiver screen on Sunday night. And I think he has he has been a standout this year. And Aaron Jones has come on this year. I mean, he was he was a year before. Um, but where they've kind of let themselves down. So there's two things here. They've let themselves down in that a lot of the young players that they, they have been bringing through 
they, they've they've lost, they've they've let go. Um, and um, you know, I think there's a, I've got a list here of about six or seven young players um, that they have they they've either let go um, um, or the, or they've traded. Um, so that that kind of belies the philosophy that you're going to draft well and and build a young team. Um, so I kind of I, I kind of struggle with that. Then the problem is that, that that's an ever decreasing circle because you're not so bad that you get a top draft pick, but you're not so good that you actually get anywhere in the in the in the league. So uh, the, the words I've written down here are draft draft mediocrity because I think that the Packers find themselves in a situation where in the, they're in that middle spot in the draft where they, they they don't get the opportunity to draft in the in the top ten. Um, and um, uh, but they're but they're not so good that they're winning Super Bowls. Uh, you know, I, you, you read the press. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers is is being lumped in the same class as um, Andrew Luck in that um, you've got um, some of the best um, uh, QBs uh, ever to play in the league, but actually you're wasting their best years. Um, and I think. Um, Green Bay are wasting Aaron Rodgers' best years, um, and you know there's a player that should have won uh, more than one Super Bowl, and it would be a travesty um, if he doesn't get back to another Super Bowl. But but I don't see anything changing um, overnight um, in Wisconsin, unfortunately. It's time to talk fantasy football, and with me right now is Rich King. How's it going? I'm not too bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Uh, so who are we sitting and uh, starting this week? So at quarterback, I think that the best option if you've got him is Cam Newton, obviously, with um, an impressive game against your Seattle Seahawks. Um, he'll probably build on that against a very weak Tampa Bay team uh, with a supporting cast like Christian McCaffrey and... Uh, another one of my starts, DJ Moore. I think that you know he's he's definitely in for a great week, and he's got a really high floor as well. Uh, other quarterback to consider starting would be Russell Wilson. Um, so shout out to your Seahawks. Uh, <laughs> uh, coming up against the 49ers, I think they're just going to kind of run run rampant. Really, the 49ers look like a team that's just waiting for the season to finish. Really, um, and I think that. Wilson with his feet and some of his receiving options I think he's in for a, a pretty decent week as well um, my sit this week is uh, future Hall of Famer Tom Brady coming up against the Minnesota Vikings I just think it's going to be a struggle for him he's he's not really looked like the Hall of Famer quarterback as as of recently um, and I think with Sony Michelle having missed some, missed some time last week I just think that I, there's better starts than, than Tom Brady against a very good Vikings defense. Um, moving on to running back, um, you've got Gus Edwards of the Baltimore Ravens, who seems like he's really just sprung out of nowhere recently. Uh, and he's coming up against the Atlanta Falcons, who aren't a great team against the against running backs. Then I've kind of got a tandem of two, and it's essentially the Jacksonville backfield with Leonard Fournette having missed a game for fighting on the field. I mean, I never really understand why they do that when they're wearing helmets. Um, <laughs> but uh, after his ludicrous appeal was denied, you've got the, the duo of Carlos Hyde and TJ Yeldon, who the only way that Jacksonville can really ever win a game is going to be by running the clock down. Uh, and against the Colts, they're going to have to do that because if Andrew Luck gets on the field, then 
they're going to struggle to stop him. Uh, wide receiver, I've got uh, DJ Moore and Adam Humphreys. Um, Adam Humphreys is a, is going to be a great start with Winston not able to take the huge downfield risks that he used to be able to. He's going to be relying on his slot, uh, and, and Adam Humphreys is that guy. The Carolina Panthers have really struggled against slot receivers all season. And um, like my last one at wide receiver is uh, Mike Williams. With Melvin Gordon's injury, everyone's talking about Justin Jackson and Eckler. I actually think that Mike Williams has the biggest opportunity as he's just a massive receiver in, in the end zone. And I think that without Melvin Gordon, they're going to be end up having to pass the ball to score touchdowns rather than running it in. Yeah. Uh, uh, my sit, I, I forgot my running back sit, uh, is Marlon Mack. He left last game with a, with a concussion and he's coming up against a stout Jacksonville Jaguars Rundy. So, Whereas last week he was he was my start, this week he's my sit. I think there's definitely better options out there, and um, you know his his backup's actually one guy to keep an eye on if um, if Mac looks like he might miss. So if Naheem Hines is is available, then he's definitely worth a stash. Um, my sit for wide receiver is Jarvis Landry. The the um, Cleveland Browns have really changed the way they've started playing offense since they fired their offensive coordinator, and he's just not getting the targets that he needs in order to to be fancy relevant. So, again, I think there's just better options out there for you. Um, at tight end, I I struggled a little bit because there's just not that many great tight ends outside of uh, Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz. So I've I've gone for Jordan Reed as my start. Now he doesn't have a great matchup against the Eagles, but there is just no one else to pass to on this Washington team. That I mean, if you're a fan, maybe bring your cleats and you might even get started. <laughs> um, there's yeah, there's literally no one else out there, and with Colt McCoy being the the backup QB, backup QBs tend to like their tight ends. So I don't yeah, you know, in the dartboard that is tight end position. I, I think he's not a bad play. Um, Austin Hooper is my sit. The Atlanta Falcons have really kind of moved away from him, especially in the red zone. They're using Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and the duo of Ito Smith and Tevin Coleman. So I just think that in a in a position where outside of those top tier, you're really looking at touchdown or bust. Austin Hooper doesn't offer that touchdown upside for me. So you. I just think he's he's one to steer clear of. So that that's my uh, that's my start sits for the week. Fantastic. Um, now, as we're coming up into the run-ups at championships, I thought I'd talk about some pickups. So some guys that you should definitely consider picking up right now if if you're in the playoffs or looking like you might. So first of all, running back is one of the most important positions for fantasy. So if you haven't already handcuffed your elite running backs, and by that I mean picked up Malcolm Brown for Todd Gurley, Spencer Ware for Kareem Hunt and Rod Smith for Ezekiel Elliott. If they're available in your leagues, then now's the time to pick them up. You, the guys you want on your bench aren't really those kind of depth players. Now you really just want to start having league winners. So if you've got uh, a player like Jordan Howard, Peyton Barber, now's the time to drop them and pick up these these handcuffs. Because if one of those starters goes down, 
they're in for a, a massive workload and that, that can really just push you over the edge to win the championship. Another interesting name is Rex Burkhead, who's just come off IR. So with Sonia Michelle having missed some time in the game last week and um, James, James White has been looking good, but if either of those two go down or are just ineffectual, then Rex Burkhead has a skill set that he can he can fill in which, whichever one of those two is struggling in that game. Um, for wide receivers, it's a bit more difficult to kind of determine a... A must add, but the one the one guy that I'm always thinking about is Josh Reynolds. Since Cooper Cup got injured, he's kind of stepped in and taken that yeah you know, that slot receiver role for Jared Goff. And I just kind of want any piece of the Rams' offense. And if one of the other two receivers, and by that I mean uh, Robert Woods or Brandon Brandon Cooks. If either of those get injured, then he's a must-start wide receiver one every single week, and twice on a Sunday. Um, tight end is just a minefield, but if they're available, then guys like Cameron Bray, Cook, and Vance McDonald, they're, they're guys that you really want to add because they're on offenses that have to score and they're quite heavily targeted, so... In the, as I said, in the dartboard that is the tight end position, you can't really look too much but these these are guys that I'd definitely consider picking up so if you're looking like you're going to be making the playoffs now's the time to start making these moves before you're having to start um, really competing against other people who are in the playoffs and if as I say the the priority really is a hang, handcuff running back because if Todd Gurley gets injured this week then you're going to wish you picked up Malcolm Brown the week before Excellent stuff. Well, thanks for that, Rich. And to those who are listening, if you have any fantasy questions for him between now and Sunday, uh, you can message him on Twitter directly at RichKingFF. Well, that's all for this week's show. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the topics we've discussed and, of course, any feedback you may have. You can tweet us at 99yards. If you're a regular listener and you enjoy our show, we would love you to leave us a star review via Apple Podcasts or the provider that you're listening to us through. Thanks for listening. flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash auto refi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's.
Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.